You're listening to the Washington Hospitality Industry Podcast, your primary source of information related to the hospitality industry in Washington State. Welcome to the January episode of the CEO Podcast with Washington Hospitality Association President and CEO Anthony Antone. This month, Anthony is out of town. Filling in for him is the chair of the Washington Hospitality Association Board, Brian Moreno, who's also the co-owner of a franchise business organization with McDonald's, and Tiffany Turner, owner of Adrift Hotel and the vice chair of the board. The two sit down with Steve Scranton, chief investment officer and economist at Washington Trust Bank, to discuss the economic outlook for 2023. Check the description for links to the web pages we mentioned in this show. If you have any questions, you can email us at podcast at wahospitality.org. And thank you to our sponsor, Payment Processing. And now, here are Brian and Tiffany. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Washington Hospitality Association CEO podcast with Anthony Anton, whose voice you're not hearing today, as I am Brian Marino, your current chair of the board of directors, covering while Anthony Anton is out of state. Joining me today is also our government affairs co-chair, uh, Tiffany from Adrift Hospitality. I will pass it over to you. Thanks, Brian. It's nice to be here, and I'm excited to chat about the new year, and I'm excited to chat about the upcoming economic forecast with Steve Scranton today. Before we do that, let's chat about the four pillars of the Hospitality Association. Thanks, Tiffany. Yeah, I'm excited about the economic forecast as well, and, and let's talk about the four pillars, specifically the, the four things that we as the association try and deliver on to add value to members and really celebrate the wins from each of those buckets. I wanted to touch on, you know, are you engaged with your community institutions, you know, your schools, your colleges? Do you serve on an advisory board? Are you working with them on a ProStar program, right? If we need to cultivate and develop a workforce, uh, it's not going to happen if we just sit inside of our offices and, and never think about our partners, but creating those partnerships will develop people that want to be a part of our industry. You know, I think on the comm side, we definitely need to talk about how, you know, we need to be talking as an association about how we can get our members through a potential, help our members get through a potential recession if one does hit. And there's a lot of information that members are going to need when that happens to to weather whatever storm they need to weather. And I also think really thinking through innovation that's necessary, not only to weather a recession, but innovation that's necessary to to figure out how we can deal with workforce, long-term workforce issues that are likely to continue for, for a decade or, or longer. And so it's really important that members um, know all of the information that Washington Hospitality Association is putting out there. We've got Make sure that you're signed up for newsletters, that you're paying attention to social media and following all the channels. And there's some dedicated toolkits on the website that can be really helpful for operators as, as they weather all of these different challenges. That's a great point, all. Stephanie. And, and it makes me think about, too, the on the membership side, right? We just opened and talked about retro checks. We talked about being good stewards of those resources. There's also the business insurance program. There's payment processing. If you're not taking advantage of some of these discounts and getting every resource you need to take care of your business in what could be a really challenging time, uh, I think we're missing out. And so it, it, it's a great opportunity and a reminder to check in with uh, your member services coordinator, you know, talk to your team and and find out what we, what the association can offer back to you. Yeah. You we know, definitely we need to make sure that our legislators 
know what's happening in our industry and we need to share our stories. And our government affairs team does a great job of getting in front of legislators, but we as operators need to be the ones to send a message about how we're doing. And so we need to make sure that we are at that virtual hill climb and that we're plugged into everything that's happening during session. Absolutely. I mean, last year we saw legislation introduced around clean energy and efficiency requirements for businesses. And it was the member stories working with the GA team that really helped shape what future legislation will look like and in a way that operators could actually support and get behind, right? And, and to Steve's point, things may not be good or bad. It's just going to look different. But if you're at the table, we can help shape what different looks like in a way that operators can support. So January 30th, let's make sure that we're there. We're engaged with our elected officials and please visit the link to sign up for, for virtual hill climb. Those are our wins. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. And after that break, we're going to sit down with Steve Scranton and chat the economic forecast. The Washington Hospitality Association partnered with U.S. Bank to provide you with innovative payment solutions at exclusive members-only pricing that meet the needs of your business and the demand of today's hospitality industry. Accept credit, debit, and contactless payment options, including mobile wallets like Apple Pay and Android Pay from a smartphone, tablet, or desktop. Check the show notes for a link to more information. Steve, thanks so much for joining us. I'm so excited to hear about your economic outlook. So let's jump right in. Uh, what is our economy in Washington State going to look like in the next six months? What do we need to prepare for as operators in hospitality? So what I would tell people is the Washington economy is going to be very similar to the U.S. economy. I think that what we will probably see um, is the fact that with all of the actions taken by the Federal Reserve, uh, you know, the consumer has really been drawing on two resources to keep spending, especially kind of the spending splurge that we saw um, in the middle of the, this uh, last year and then the slowdown we've seen since then, because one of the realities we have to look at is that the average worker has seen their expense growth outpace their wage growth for 20 consecutive months. So that's what I'd call negative real average hourly earnings. So what they've been doing is they've been using their savings account, they've been using their credit cards. And I think that what I see is that they're reaching close to being to the limits there. The savings, uh, personal savings rate for the U.S. went from 20.4% in the first quarter of 2021 down to 2.7% now. And same for credit card balances. We've seen a dramatic increase just from April of this year. Credit card balances have risen $200 billion. So what I think is happening is the consumer because they've got to meet their core expenses, you know, shelter, food, energy, um, those type of expenses, they've been using their savings and their credit cards as this bridge financing to hope that prices will either come down or their wages will go up. And I think, you know, now that they've done their spending for the holiday season, I think reality is going to start to hit um, in the first quarter. As those bills come due, the consumer is going to have to start cutting back because it's different than the U.S. government. Once the, US, the consumer hits zero on their savings or maxes out their lines on their credit cards, they're forced to cut back. So I think we're going to see slowing in the first half of the year. Um, I'm not in the camp for, for some economists who think that we will actually be in recession by the first half of the year. But I do think the risk is very high. 
that by the second half of the year, we could well find by the end of the year that we are in recession because of the fact that the consumer has just run out of those resources. We haven't seen inflation come down enough to help them. And I think that your operators should probably be prepared for a slowing pace in the first half of the year and then potentially a fairly rapid uh, decline after that because once you hit your limits, it's not a gradual decline, it's a fairly fast decline. Real cheery news, I know. As far as when a recession does hit, what are the indicators to figure out how long it's likely to last or what's the historical cycle of recessions on timeline? So the historical cycle, um, let me just give you a few facts about um, the average recession. The average recession um, sees a decline in economic growth of 1.6%. So it's not, you know, far different than the pandemic crisis, which, you know, part of the problem, a lot of people, it's a natural human behavior is what we call recency bias. We remember what happened the last time and we think it's going to happen again. Um, and the reality is, is that the duration of a recession is 11 months. That's the average. They've been as short as three months. They've been as long as 19 months, but the average is 11 months. So once they hit, um, and you're not going to know because they're not going to announce, hey, we're in a recession. Um, the official aid, uh, independent agency that declares that is always slow to declare that because they want to verify that it's actually in place. But I'd say once again, once a business sees that, that evidence that their sales are dropping, um, those types of things, then figure it's going to be probably about, you know, let's just round it and say um, about a year before it comes back out of it again. Um, but we've had far shallower ones. The, the last one that wasn't a crisis recession was what we call the tech bubble of uh, 2001. Uh, that was a recession that only lasted um, nine months and it only saw a decline in economic activity of about um, half a percent. So I think, again, that's why just being prepared you know, prepare for 12 months, be happy if it's nine months, um, but that way you're not surprised. <laughs> I think I'm still trying to process what I just heard. And and it almost uh, leads me down a, a rabbit hole on labor so that it, if consumer spending is expected to be you know, reduced and, and resources are tight, our role is, as operators and owners is really to, to take care of our people. And I think that's where a lot of our resources are going or how are we making sure that we're the employer of choice, that we're the best first job uh, and, and there are costs associated with that. But our labor market is also shrinking, right? We, we've seen so many people leave our industry. What are your thoughts about um, where the labor market is heading and, and how we prepare for this compounded pressure? Well, I think from a long-term perspective, um, the labor force is going to continue to decline because the baby boom generation is hitting retirement age. And just doing the math from there compared to what we have for Gen X, you know, the millennial generation, now Gen Z, that would be a natural gradual decline. But as you've pointed out, what we saw with the pandemic crisis is three different things that I think are really driving this labor shortage and try and at least give you a little bit of my thoughts of what could change or what won't change. One, we've definitely seen a lot of early retirements as people in the age 55 and over had thought after, you know, with the pandemic, with the huge surge in their 401k balances, with the huge surge we've seen in home prices over the last two or three years, it was like, wow, I can retire early. This is great. And so a lot of them retired early. And we're, what we're starting to see now is some evidence that some of those people are coming back because they didn't budget for the inflation levels that we saw. They really didn't anticipate their expenses to be as high as they've been. 
and their 401k balances have, you know, depending on how they invested, are down anywhere from 15 to 30%. And I think that's triggered for some of those saying, ah, I got to come back to work. And according to the Federal Reserve, they felt there was a million five that left the labor force through this early retirement. But the really interesting dynamic that I think the Legion hospitality industry, especially the operators are going to just have to be thinking about long-term, what does this really mean for me? Um, what's really been fascinating to look at is that there has been a big increase of women in the goods producing side of the economy, the uh, construction industry. Um, we've seen them up over um, 10% from where they were February. This is just for women up 10% compared to where they were in February of 2020 compared to overall construction only being up 1.7%. So far more women entering construction, far more women entering transportation warehousing. Some of this may be, you know, the, the Amazon and all the other warehouse effects are saying that they're, they're moving to those types of jobs. But what we saw was a 17% increase of women in the transportation and warehousing industry compared to the industry as a whole, only up 12%. So I, I worry that maybe the case here, especially for women, but even for some for the men, is that they've decided that they're, they're leaving the leisure hospitality industry. They're moving into a different sector. Um, and whether that's a permanent change or not, I, I really think that's what the operators should be thinking about. Because to me, that implies overall looking over the longer term, especially as if labor costs continue to rise, we're gonna be looking at the Japanese solution automation and robotics, you know, being the solution, especially for leisure and hospitality, but for many other industries the same way, because you're going to reach a point at some point, if you have to keep raising wages, that it's just as cheap to invest in the cost of automation and control those costs far easier. Um, that won't be a short solution, but I do think that that is something that um, we have to look at because the retail uh, sector and leisure and hospitality are the ones who've seen a lot of the workforce moving to other industries and especially women um, migrating into industries that we traditionally wouldn't have thought would be where women were, would be pursuing. So I wonder if I could follow up and then I'll, I'll keep my mouth shut. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'd like to dive into what you're talking about with the populations within employment. Um, you know, Computing for All, a Washington-based nonprofit released a report last year about tech saying that the, the lion's share, the largest percentage of tech jobs are not in the tech industry, right? They're in retail, they're in manufacturing, they're in Walmart, you know, McDonald's, we're no different. We have people that we need with technology related skills and credentials to be able to accomplish our, our business goals. So there's such an increased demand or comp for competition uh, in the labor market, right? Um, and something you were talking about that made me think about how there are dedicated nonprofits and organizations specifically targeting, you know, historically underrepresented populations in craft labor and skilled trades in tech and, and so on. What do you see as, is this trend likely to continue where we're, we as operators are going to have to come up with a new value proposition for upskilling or reskilling our workforce? I think quite honestly, that could be something you're going to be facing because the reality is, you know, the goods producing side of the economy, especially construction and manufacturing, have had labor shortages far before the pandemic crisis ever hit. You know, talking with a lot of our businesses um, during the whole expansion from 2009 to 2019, the ongoing message from that in those industries were 
you know, we got to change the messaging for people that, you know, that blue collar job is a good job to have because we can, you know, are consistently short. So they have taken those steps. You're right. You know, we've seen even from the Association of General Contractors Foundation, they have rolled out and they've been working with many states. And Washington is one of the states participating in what they call a core plus offering for high school now, where junior and senior year, you can choose to take the track in high school that would still get you all of your basic requirements, but gives you specific classes or training in the construction industry to either send you down the path to, to enter a trade school, become an apprentice, become a, you know, a um, journeyman, and then be making six-figure salaries or you know, move to a four-year college to be uh, into construction management. So I do think the reality is now that the uh, not just leisure and hospitality, I think it's also retail and even the professional and business services side for a lot of the administrative type of positions, um, the goods producing side of the economy or the trade skill side is actively marketing and trying to convince people that, hey, you can make just as much money here or more money here, you know, come talk to us. And I think they're starting to see that happening. And it, it just looking at at least the numbers that would seem to indicate that people are saying, wow, you know, maybe this is where I should go because once I become a journeyman, whether it's a drywaller, an electrician, a plumber, you know, they're making six figure figures. And in many cases, they're making very nice six figures because of that shortage again. So I do think for the other industries um, that are losing people as a result, you're going to have to, um, you know, retarget your marketing. Um, otherwise, again, you're going to have to start looking at some of those positions of saying that um, we can automate or we can use robotics to relieve some of the stress, but others, like you said, you know, the tech side and the management side, it really is a case of what's your, um, you know, your uh, winning formula. They want to come work for you rather than saying that I want to go work for Washington Trust Bank or somebody like that. Yeah. Wow. It sounds like there's not a lot of, that there's not a positive shift in the workforce challenges that we have. It's going to be a long-term a long-term issue that the industry is going to have to deal with. And I really do think rethinking our value proposition to our workforce is going to be critical. Another question, hopefully you have a little, a little more good news. Uh, what's your prediction on inflation um, now that, you know, we're entering into a period of time where people have less money in their pockets. Is that going to stem inflation a little bit? Yeah, I think we have to recognize is that, um, even though people don't like to hear, you know, me saying that, you know, there's a high risk of being in a recession by the end of the year, people really have to realize for majority of well-run businesses, a recession is, is more where you see opportunities. But what we see very clearly going back, I've gone back and researched back to the 1970s, which is as far back as some of the data is, that essentially after every recession, inflation has been far lower. And so part of the reason for that is I think, again, from an operator standpoint, may not be great news from an employee standpoint, um, but the reality is what I've gone through and looked, and I went back actually looking all the way back through um, 1948 of just looking at all the recessions we've had um, during that time period. And I'm excluding out the last two because I call those crisis recessions, you know, the financial crisis and the pandemic crisis. So I look at all the others, you know, what we see on average is that, um, Job losses uh, fall by about 2.6%, and the uh, unemployment rate, um, the peak unemployment rate on average hit 7.6%. So if I'm just looking at those numbers for right now, 
you know, this may be good news for well-run companies saying, hey, I'm going to finally have some labor supply because if we see a 2.6% drop, drop in jobs from where we currently have total jobs outstanding, that would mean that we would um, reduce or eliminate 4 million jobs um, due to the recession impact. And if we have an unemployment rate, you know, near that 7.6 level again, we put 6 million people out of work. Well, suddenly you go with job openings being more like 6 million rather than 10.3 million and unemployed people going from 6 million now to almost 12 million. I think that then creates the opportunity again to pull people back into the marketplace because now they don't have the leverage anymore. Now they actually need to find a job to be able to pay bills and everything else. So, you know, that's where I try and tell people is that, yeah, nobody likes to hear recession, but from a business standpoint, especially a well-run business who prepares for a recession and is ready for it when it comes, you may well see good opportunities with your value proposition to be able to pull in people that you want to pull in and be able to choose from that rather than saying that either one, I don't get any applications or I only get one or two. You may be back to seeing you know, 10, 15 or 20 and being able to identify the best of the group and bring them on board and keep them on board then. So that's kind of the silver lining that I would tell for operators. Employees may not view that as a silver lining, but it's the reality of where we stand right now. Well, a little bit of good news and a, <laughs> and a lot of bad news. So uh, appreciate that outlook. Can you talk a little bit about what we're going to see to make sure that your predictions are, are coming true or what, what, should be, what should we be looking for in the news? What I would tell you is one, um, these days, it's kind of tough to say what's the news you know, <laughs> compared to the media. But what I would say is, again, focus on the, the consumer. And what I myself would be looking for is signs, again, that stress is starting to you know, increase or to, you know, to crack. You know, what I've seen so far, the only real sign so far is the, um, the low quality car loans delinquency rates have started to rise. Normally, the weakest will be the first, you know, the leading edge of recession and it goes from there. So I would be paying attention to any news of credit card companies talking about delinquencies rising or foreclosures um, on bad debt starting to rise. We're not there at this point in time. I think that's why you know, I tell people is that usually the warning, that the leading indicators we get for recession, which are most all flashing red right now, uh, recession usually follows within 12 months. And that's where I think you'll just need to watch for their signs. What is the consumer doing? I, I would tell your operators too, is that, you know, don't necessarily rely on the news because we know, know there's a bias to news no matter what, what we wish. Observe what's actually going on around you. One of the things I try and do just as a regular exercise is like walk into one of the malls and just observe, are people walking with bags in hand? Or are they just walking and leaving with nothing in hand? Because that's your sign again that the consumer is starting to cut back on spending. I think your operators will probably see it from the restaurant side as well. If you start to see um, business dropping off, that's your more real-time thing to be paying attention to. But what I'd really say from the news standpoint is what is going on with the consumer? Your personal spending gets reported on a monthly basis credit card debt, um, defaults, delinquencies. Re the Federal Reserve reports on that on a, on a monthly basis. Not all the news necessarily carries it. Um, but when we've got a savings rate that's getting close to zero and credit card balances that looks like they're starting to approach their, you know, their limits, 
Um, I think those would be the things that I'd really be paying attention to. And even personally, if you see your neighbors changing habits, suddenly, you know, selling cars or um, no longer taking vacations, things like that. Those are all to me, real time indicators to say, oh, things are starting to deteriorate or, hey, I don't see it. You know, it's still solid. And I know for Washington as a whole, when we talk to a lot of our businesses, they're all saying, we're not seeing it yet. We're still seeing, you know, solid overall um, business, but they have plenty of concerns about you know, what's coming down the road. So I think something you've touched on earlier is you know, looking at you know, precedence, right? Let, let's look at the history of, of these things and what we can learn from it. And, and I really think, um, I'll, I'll say this part for the, the summary. Um, so looking at precedence, looking at history, how do we prepare in terms of insulating ourselves from rising cost pressures? I think we've been having cost pressure conversations in Washington as far back as I started my career. Uh, and we always navigate our way through it. But as far as getting smart about looking at the right data, right, uh, supply chain and, and operations, where do you go to to look at sort of the trends and, and emerging indicators around, you know, food cost? Well, some of it, I think, you know, we pay attention since we are part of our businesses, an agricultural lender, one of our clients telling us, especially in the central Washington region. Um, and what we're still hearing from them is that their input costs have not come down. Uh, so they are going to try as best they can to pass those costs through when they have harvest season. So I think, once again, one of the biggest challenges, which is completely out of our hands, is the fact that, you know, there's some type of resolution to the Russia-Ukraine conflict. But more importantly, it, it's a bigger picture, and, and, I, and I don't have a crystal ball for you, but, you know, Europe and the U.S. made a decision um, with our last you know, election with the administration um, in the Congress that, you know, we're moving to green energy. And that's what they've told the oil industry is we're moving to green energy and you need to adapt accordingly. And so what we're now seeing is that even um, with heavy demand where there's a potential that in the past we would see new drillers opening up and drilling because uh, for the U.S. about $50 a gallon for um, oil is a level where most operators are profitable. We're not seeing that this time around. And I think this is a fundamental thing that we do have to pay attention to because, you know, the message that the oil industry has heard from Congress is that fossil fuel is bad. We don't want fossil fuel. And now their shareholders are telling them basically, look, don't be involved in areas that's going to be unpopular. So instead, the oil industry or the energy industry is now focusing on where there's opportunities on the green side um, to, to expand and diversify their business there. And the problem we face for the U.S. right now, and Europe has the same problem, is we don't have the infrastructure yet to convert to green the way we, you know, that we're pushing so hard to do. Um, even electric cars, I mean, talking to anybody who's trying to travel with an electric car and how long they have to wait in line at one of the charging stations. So I think that's a, what I've told people is we need to prepare for, budget for, and ultimately figure out how to work with um, fundamentally higher energy prices, that 4 to $5 a gallon may be the new normal for U.S. as things settle out, because we're not at a point yet where we can just make that conversion to green um, the way people want to do it. And yet the oil industry is saying, I'm not going back to you know increase supply of fossil fuel because you may love me now while we're in the middle of needing it, but as soon as uh, things settle down, then I'm the bad guy again if I'm involved in fossil fuel. 
So, and that's the major input cost for most ag people that when we hear it from our customers, it's over and over again, it's either one, you know, the two critical things that we need to watch is, is the energy. And, you know, my view, like I said, is I think that the inflation rate itself will come down, that we're not going to continue to see energy prices up 60% a year. But we, when we settle out, we may be settling out at four to five dollars a gallon instead of three to four dollars, um, and that goes right through on the ag side as well. The other is we got to figure out a way, and, and I don't have a solution other than saying that America as a whole needs to communicate the message to, message to Congress that we need an effective immigration policy. Um, we have you know, our immigration policy is basically broken right now. Um, we don't seem to distinguish between illegal and, and legal. And the U.S. has been a nation of immigrants. That's how you, we've grown as a nation. Um, it's always been the case. If we can resolve the immigration problem, because that is another thing that our um, ag customers are saying, is they're really struggling to get enough labor to harvest their crops. And it's a two-tiered problem. One is the immigration policy, where it's very difficult, even under the H-2A visa program, because that got reduced the amount they'd allow in, that's creating a problem. The bigger problem is, as China has now become being viewed as our competitor, many companies are focusing towards Mexico for a lot of their manufacturing. And what we've heard feedback from a lot of our ag people is, our traditional workers who would come up are saying now that they're going to stay home because they've got a manufacturing job that pays just as, as good wages for them. So I, I think that is really um, what I'm going to say again is that we're not going to continue to see these skyrocketing prices that we've seen, but I'm not going to say, hey, just be patient and you'll be back to where we were in 2019 or 2020. I think you need to figure out how do you make the adjustments. And so far, at least my own experience and talking to everybody, you know, here at work, people are still going out and they've accepted the cost that now, you know, lunch prices and dinner prices are higher. Um, so it's really going to be the question of how successful are your operators in marketing their business or product to say it's worth the price to come in and pay these prices? Because I don't think, again, that um, it's going to dramatically drop. But on the flip side, I don't think you're going to see the horrendous increases you've seen over the last two years. So that hopefully should be good news for them. I've always felt that, especially, you know, it's not unique to Legion Hospitality, but I think it's very true with Legion Hospitality that you have owners that are entrepreneurs and you know they really don't know the definition of failure, that if something doesn't work, well, then I'll just try a new thing. And I got to believe that they will figure out whether it's automation, whether it's robotics, um, but ultimately, I believe they'll figure out what that solution is if we're going to have a chronic labor shortage. I really like that silver lining, knowing that, you know, the people that are operating our hotels and restaurants, they're, they're going to make sure that they can figure out how to, how to press through, even in the face of some significant adversity. So we have been over the last couple of years through the pandemic, and that's not going to change. Yeah, and, you know, one thing I reflect talking to um, a few of our Gen Z employees, um, they're very clear that they're all about the experience and what they get. And I think that ties back to what you guys are talking about before, the value proposition that if somebody thinks, hey, this restaurant's great because they give you know, fantastic service, whatever it is, atmosphere, I'm willing to pay you know, the price that they're charging versus somebody else. I think you may see some um, segmentation happening there as time progresses if the labor shortage stays is that 
the successful entrepreneurs will figure out what that formula is and they'll see continued success. And some of the marginal players like you would normally see in a business may not survive the process or they'll have to adapt to get to there. But I certainly wouldn't make any case to any of you, you know, from my perspective, that any of us are giving up on wanting to go out to dinner or be able to travel. And I, I think that, you know, the, the relationship side of the equation may be a far bigger part of that equation going forward compared to before. It was just, you know, who's got the cheapest price and has good food. Yeah. Innovate and adapt. That's what we're all, you know, most industries are having to do right now, right? Yep. Yep. Well, I always say, like I said, even though nobody likes me hearing talking about recessions is that, you know, out of crisis comes opportunities and you can just go back in history and always see that, that some of the best innovations that occurred were because, you know, almost forced in you because of a recession or something like that. So um, I, I think once again, the well-run operators, they'll survive through a recession without any problem. And I just continue to tell people is look, Turn off your TV, don't listen to the media, pay attention to what you actually see going on with your business. So that way you'll see the opportunities well before the media ever reports on it. And you'll be able to ad adapt and adjust far faster than those who just are listening to what they're hearing on TV. Yeah, really appreciate that perspective. I think if there are a couple of ways we could confront the information presented today, right? And I think operators could take this episode and batten down the hatches and, and hope that they're going to weather the storm. But uh, my, my dream would be for people to embrace the, the Jim Collins perspective, right? This is an opportunity to confront the brutal facts. And what you've outlined are the brutal facts. And if you know that, you can make better decisions about how your jobs might be different, how your employment looks, what your organizational culture is, and embrace the change versus kind of uh, screaming at the clouds and saying, why isn't this working for my organization? And I think you're right. Those are going to be the winners that come out of this with thriving, engaged, happy employees and customers that uh, want to be a part of a business that accomplishes that. Thanks so much for coming and for sharing all of the not so great news. I feel like I need to revisit all of our budgets for all of our businesses in the next 12 months. Um, but it's better to know what we're getting into than to walk into it blind. So I do really appreciate it. Yeah, Steve, starting the year with eyes wide open, I think it's really going to impact a lot of our members. And, and to this point, we may not want to hear this, but we have to hear it if we're going to learn, make better decisions and, and continue to be the, the greatest hospitality climate in, in the country. One closing thought I throw out for your listeners is that um, in my message is prepare for a recession don't behave like we're actually in a recession because the worst thing you can do is create a self-fulfilling prophecy that everyone goes, Oh my God, he just said we're going to be in a recession and you stop doing what you do for a normal business. That'll guarantee a recession. I'm just simply saying the risk is high, prepare for it. And if you do, you'll get through it and be ready for the opportunities that show up. Beautiful message. So thanks for listening to, to do two different voices today on the, on the CEO podcast and returning next month will be Anthony Antone. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Join us during the first week of February when Anthony returns. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Washington Hospitality Industry Podcast. Make sure to visit our website, 
wahospitality.org, where you can learn more about the restaurant and lodging industries and the Washington Hospitality Association. Be sure to subscribe to the show in iTunes, Google, Spotify, or iHeartRadio so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Thank you so much for that effort. Until next time.